But I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And welcome to all of you this morning. Beautiful summer day. Year's almost halfway over. In 12 months, Christmas will be done. Shorter. Shorter. Yes, they are. Well, here we are, last Sunday of June, and uh, I don't think we have any, any important messages to pass on to you, not unless uh, Pastor Ryan or Pastor Sandy has anything they need to tell the congregation. We are going to start Sunday school, like we said last week, uh, second Sunday in July, if I remember correctly. And uh, uh, if it's all right with John, <laughs> hi, John. <laughs> if it's all right with John, our Sunday school class will meet up here. Uh, so we have a few more members than John's. And then John's group. You're going to be in your regular room, John? Okay. All right. So that's where John's class will be. And we will be up here, sort of spread out like we are now. And uh, we'll, we'll keep reminding and I think there's new quarterlies back on the uh, table back there. So pick one up so you're prepared. And uh, we'll try and get things back to normal. And we're going to try and pass some microphone today during our hair and share, if that's all right with everybody. Don't spit into the microphone. You can keep from it. And I will. Sorry. Don't cough. Don't breathe. And I will, I will get the microphone from Davy. I forgot to pick that up. So uh, I think we're in good shape. We, our first hymn, ladies and gentlemen, is Pass Me Not. It's number 337. If you'll open to your hymnal on number 337, we'll begin our service with that hymn. <laughs> See if we can make some notes here. Does anybody have any updates they need to pass on? Christine, do you have anything you need to pass on to us? We've been praying for baby Colson, who was in need of a heart transplant. Uh, he's now four months old in Pittsburgh. And uh, he did an echocardiogram this past Wednesday. And to the amazement of doctors and staff, his heart was starting to beat on its own. Wow. And they, the mother has been praying, and she's asked people to pray for the donor family because her gain will be their loss for their son. But now she said she knows nothing's impossible with God. She's praying for healing of her baby's heart. And they're going to do weekly echoes every Wednesday. And she asked the cardiologist, can this happen? He said, he's never seen it. Then they asked an older cardiologist, well, he said he saw it once, but it's very rare. And now his heart is starting to beat on wow. his own. So praise God. Or his, the heart is functioning. Maybe I'm not saying that correctly. He has the Berlin heart that's making it function, but his own heart is starting to do its own work. Great. So praise God. Yeah. Nothing is impossible with God. Absolutely. Absolutely nothing. Anyone else like to show? Yeah, you do. I just wanted to let everybody know that my friend Glenn, who was in an accident, he is home. Um, his wife's 
doctor, this can be expected. Um, she said he has lots of doctor's appointments and therapy, so keep praying. They, as far as I know, they have not found the person that hit him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Goldie, I'm sorry, I walked past you. Yeah, I should have eyes in the back of my head. Yeah. Uh, last week, I don't know who asked if we know anybody that has COVID-19. Um, this past week, I just learned that uh, Jim, no, I can't say it. Oh, from White Oak Congregation, the minister, Jim Meyer. Jim Meyer has uh, COVID-19 and he has trouble walking. So... He needs our prayers. Yeah, Jim is not a young man. And he's, he's quite a guy. He's really a good fella. Anyone else? Oh. Oh, yes, Paul. Do you want to come up here, Paul? It's about mowing. Anyway, when I mow, I mow two, two acres at my place, two acres at the cemetery, two acres over here, and two acres over there. And it's a lot of balancing. I mean, a lot of balancing. I don't usually do it in one day, but three weeks ago, I did it all in one day, four hours. So it's funny. That looks just like you, Paul. <laughs> yeah. But baby Colson, Lord, what a blessing. Gives you goosebumps when you think about all the things that you can do if we only believe. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that baby. Please, Lord, we pray for healing. We pray for continued progress in that area. Lord, we want that baby to show your glory, and he will. Thank you, Lord, for that blessing. And thank you that Glenn is home from his accident. We pray for advanced healing for him, that he can get back to normal. Thank you for watching over him throughout this time period. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. And of course, we think of Jim Meyer in White Oak. Jim is a, a great warrior for you, Lord. Thank you for his life. Thank you that you are with him. And I know that he has great faith also. So give him healing, Lord. Let him serve you for years to come. Thank you, Lord, for Jim and all the congregation in White Oak. Thank you, Lord. And there's other people that we have not mentioned names, Lord, that we know about. Bless them. Promote healing, Lord, as you see fit. Because you're the great physician. And you know the outcome even before it's a bit apparent to us. Thank you, Lord, for that fact. Where would we be without you, the knowing God? Thank you, Lord. And Lord, 
Lord, we think of all our brothers and sisters throughout the world that are, are persecuted because of you. And you say in scripture that this will happen, but we pray for them, Lord, especially the folks in Nigeria. Our brothers and sisters there need your help. We ask you to stand against their oppressors, Lord. Rescue them from all the dangers that they face. And increase their faith, Lord. A wonderful group of people, a wonderful group of believers. Thank you for them, Lord. And not just them, Lord, but believers in China and the Middle East, all over the world, Lord, wherever your people are, they need our prayers. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. Thank you that you hear their prayers. And Lord, we need this, your guidance and your face to come upon this country. Lord, we just need to get back to you. We, we pray for a great awakening, Lord. Lord, rescue this nation. It's teetering on, on self-destruction. And only you can bring it back. Lord, we pray for your help and your blessing. And now, Lord, as we go forward, bless this congregation. Bless the pastors. Bless everybody that helps in the service. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Jesus Christ, our great Messiah, our King, our wonderful friend. Amen. feels like it's shaping up to be a hot one. Is it, are we getting more rain this year or less rain? I, I can't tell. I, I think at our house we're getting less rain and it feels hotter than it has the past few years. I don't know if anybody else. Same thing or no? Is it wet and cooler? Yes, what? More or more. Oh, good. Well, it's good to see everybody here. And yeah, uh, Mike, you're right. Um, we do need to pray for the nation and for our leaders. Um, absolutely. You know, it's interesting, though, if you study church history, um, in the moments of intense persecution, time and again, are the moments when the church explodes in growth. Uh, the Spirit seems to do a mighty work in those areas where persecution is intense. So I'm not saying that I want that to happen, but certainly want the spirit to move in this country. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Uh, the sunshine, the humid air. Um, Lord, I was watering new grass that I planted this morning, reminded of the fact that you are in control, that you are sovereign over not only this land, but over the entire creation. And we come here this morning to worship you, to be fed by your word, to learn about who you are and what you expect of us. So, Father, we ask that you would meet us here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I'm going to be reading from the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan this morning, a very familiar parable uh, if you want to turn there in your Bibles with me, you're more than welcome to. We're going to be going throughout the Gospel of Luke. And before we read that parable, I do want to say just a bit about the Gospel of Luke, um, its author, 
emphases and context so that we can get a better appreciation for what Scripture has to say to us this morning. And so starting with Luke himself, Luke was a medical doctor, and we know this. Uh, he was of Gentile descent. He was a co-worker and loyal friend to Paul and the early church. He was an accomplished historian. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, and when taken together, those two books comprise over 25% of the New Testament. Now, the beginning of Luke's Gospel states its purpose, and it is to provide certainty, or another word would be evidence, to provide evidence to what Theophilus was taught. And that's written in verses 1 through 4. Dedicated or prepared, he says, for most excellent Theophilus. And that greeting, that most excellent Theophilus, has led many to believe that Theophilus was a high-ranking government official in Rome. Now, one of the prominent themes that appears, that appears consistently throughout Luke's gospel is the kingdom of God. And so if you look at chapter 9, verses 60 through 62, Jesus says, And to him leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And again, he says to the next individual, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Chapter 10, verse 9. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Chapter 12, verse 31. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Chapter 13, verses 18 through 21, Jesus talks about what the kingdom of God is like. And so this coming kingdom that was foretold by the prophets of the Old Testament, and now the messenger of the good news is Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ of God. And so if you look at chapters 4, excuse me, chapter 4, not chapters, chapter 4, Verses 18 through 19, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Go down just a bit in chapter 4 to verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, he went, through, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Chapter 9, verse 2. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And so the good news is that salvation has come from God for both Jews and Gentiles. Flip back to chapter 2, verse 31. This is Simeon's back on. This is uh, Simeon speaking a, a, a blessing to the Lord. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles 
and for glory to your people Israel. Go over a few pages to chapter 6, verses 17 through 18. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. What's significant there, excuse me, let me just back up about Tyre and Sidon. Those are Gentile cities. Those are not Jewish cities. And so we see this multitude of people coming from all over. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> the story of the centurion's son who was healed, or excuse me, the centurion's servant who was healed. And he obviously was not Jewish. He was a ranking official in the Roman army. And Jesus commends him for his faith. And so the parable of the Good Samaritan, let me just step back there for a second. We can see that there's a, a, a theme that Luke is, is presenting in this gospel. Number one is that the kingdom of God has come near. And number two, that persons from all nations are coming to Jesus, are welcome in this kingdom. And so the parable of the Good Samaritan is found in a major section of Luke's gospel. And if you want to mark in your Bibles on chapter 9, verse 51... Luke makes a major shift, and he begins to, um, it, it's, a, it's a transition in his gospel. And we know it's a transition because he says that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And you see, in the earlier chapters of Luke's gospel, Jesus is preaching around Galilee. Now he's going towards Jerusalem. And it ends somewhere in chapter 19, and it's often referred to as the travel narrative, and it means that Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem for his death, crucifixion, resurrection. It recounts the final months of Jesus' ministry as he faced rejection from the religious authorities. And it's filled with narratives and miracles and parables that draws attention to the fact that the Christ of God has come to seek out and to save the lost. And the lost includes not only Jews, but Gentiles as well, and especially the ones being disadvantaged both physically and socially. And as I said before, the coming kingdom, it's a prominent theme throughout Luke's entire gospel. And in this section, particularly chapter 9, verses 51, to somewhere in chapter 19, Luke presents Jesus' announcement of the coming kingdom with a sense of urgency. And that urgency requires a proper response on the part of the hearer. That is action. Prepare yourselves for the kingdom is at hand. Luke's gospel makes it clear that social outcasts are welcome in the coming kingdom. And it's clear that Jesus is concerned with the socially disadvantaged and welcomes them into his kingdom. Nineveh and the queen of Sheba both being outside of ethnic Israel, will stand in the kingdom to execute judgment on those outside of the kingdom. Jesus says this in chapter 11, verses 30 through 32. If there were any doubts about the inclusive nature 
of the coming kingdom, they're laid to rest in chapter 13. If you want to look there, verses 29 through 30. Jesus says, And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Jesus makes it plain that persons from all nations will comprise the coming kingdom. And this theme of inclusiveness is picked back up in chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. The invited guests, we all know this story of the parable of the master who went out to invite guests to his banquet, but nobody came in. And so the master sent the servant out and he pulled in people from the streets. The invited guests did not come to the feast, so the master went out into the streets. He called in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. In chapter 15, verses 1 through 32, the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. It's about the lost being brought back into the kingdom. In chapter 17, 11 through 19, when Jesus heals the ten lepers, the only leper that came back to give praise to God was the foreigner. Now, the word inclusive can have different connotations. In the context of Luke's gospel, what it means is that the kingdom of God is open to all people. But notice, that does not mean that all persons will enter this kingdom. Luke's not preaching a universalist message. Rather, what he is saying is that all persons, irrespective of social standing, of class, of wealth, of ethnicity, Am I doing something wrong here, Davey? No? I'm being censored. (laughs) All persons, irrespective of social standing, class, wealth, or ethnicity, are invited. And so now we come to the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so it may be helpful to keep these following things in mind. Number one a major theme that Luke is presenting, as we just saw, is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Number two, because the kingdom of God is at hand, there is a sense of urgency that is required on our part. And number three, the kingdom of God is open to all persons, irrespective of social standing, class, wealth, ethnicity, educational status. And so let's read Luke 10 verses 25 through 37. Very familiar story that we've all probably heard many times. Beginning in verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now this question, whether it was asked sincerely or not, is a legitimate question. David, just keep okay we good on okay great again this question whether it was asked sincerely or not is it's it is a legitimate question and the question could be rephrased this way teacher 
What shall I do to be saved? Verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And so notice how Jesus responds with a question. What is written in the law? In other words, what does it say in the Old Testament? And this is a great example of how we should approach questions that we come across in life. That is by asking, well, what does God's word say about this issue? The word of God is our source of truth concerning matters of salvation. And so consequently, Jesus affirms the truth of the Old Testament as being instructive for the lawyer and for us today. So the lawyer answered him in verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The lawyer is quoting from Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19, verse 18, the way to eternal life is the same in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is by grace through a faith that works in love. Verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now most of the Jewish people at this time would have understood a neighbor as being another Jew. A Gentile would not have been viewed as a neighbor and most certainly not a Samaritan. Verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Verse 36 Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Now, we've all heard this parable many times. And, you know, today probably everyone in here, when hearing the name Pharisees or teachers of the law in Israel, we have a negative impression. And we think those are the bad guys. Likewise, today, probably everyone here, when hearing the name Samaritan, has a positive impression. He was the good guy. We have good Samaritan hospitals. Frequently, there are news stories that talk about a person being a good Samaritan by helping others who are in need. But that is not what the first century Jewish man and woman would have thought when they heard this. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the good guys. They were the guys that everyone looked up to. They did what was right in the sight of the Lord. They were righteous and holy. They were the guys that you called when you needed spiritual comforting. The Samaritans were the hated half-breeds. Being not quite Jewish, not quite Gentile, they were outcasts. They were the guys that everyone despised. They did what was abominable in the sight of the Lord. They built rival temples 
in Bethel and Dan, and they filled them with golden calves. They corrupted God's word. They were the guys that you absolutely did not want to call. In fact, there was such hatred for the Samaritans that the Jewish people wouldn't even touch something that a Samaritan had touched or used. And so sometimes it's helpful for us to recast a parable. Recast it with characters that are more contemporary to our time so that we can feel the full force of Jesus' words and not miss what he's trying to teach us. A man was walking down a street one evening after having picked up some groceries for his family at a convenience store. And a group of young punks thought he was an easy target, so they snuck up behind him, and one of them hit the man in the back of the head with a metal rod. The other two punks began to kick him and punch him mercilessly. The man, dazed and still unaware of exactly what was happening, began to feel and taste warm blood pouring around his face and into his mouth. As his body was being ravaged, he could feel the feet and fists of his attackers like solid pieces of iron colliding with his face and body. He tried to gasp for air, but before he could take a breath, the next blow would prevent him from inhaling. As his attackers continued to mercilessly beat him, the man felt his wallet and cell phone being taken from his pockets. He felt his attackers ripping the clothes and shoes from his body. Becoming more aware of the gravity of the situation after the initial blow to the back of his head, the man feared for his life. He began to understand what was happening to him. Adding to his fear was the now discernible laughter of his attackers. How could they laugh? He began to think. Will I ever see my wife and children again? He wondered. Lord, please help me, he prayed. As quickly as it began, it seemed to stop, and he knew that it must be over, for now he could hear the feet of his attackers running down the street. All that was left were the echoes of their diabolical laughter bouncing back and forth between the dark and empty buildings. It's over, he thought. Finally, he could breathe. But his relief was short-lived, for now he began to feel pain coursing through his body, He was pretty certain that he had several broken bones. His heart was beating wildly, and with each beat of his heart, he could feel more blood pouring out of his body and wetting the ground where he lay. He knew that his injuries were very serious, but he couldn't get up. Quickly falling out of consciousness, he began to cry, not for the pain, but rather for the thought of never seeing his family again. His eyes closed, and he was enveloped in darkness. Just as the man's eyes closed, a car came driving down the road. It was a popular brethren pastor. He was rushing to get home to his family after a long committee meeting. And seeing the man in the brightness of his headlights, he moved over to the left side of the road. Leviticus 18.7 passed through the brethren pastor's mind. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father. He quickly turned his head as he drove past the man so as not to see the man's naked body and thus fall into sin. Instead, offering up a quick prayer. Lord, please help that man this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. As quickly as the brethren pastor came upon the man, he forgot about him, continuing instead to think about how his congregation can implement a new program to reach the community with the love of Jesus. 
Just then, another very popular local pastor whose sermons and community outreach events were widely known in the area, he came driving down the same road. And seeing the man in the brightness of his headlights, he too moved over to the left side of the road. Proverbs 20, verses 1, passed through this local pastor's mind. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Seeing the man battered and bruised and naked, this local pastor thanked the Lord for the fact that he has not been overtaken by the sins of alcohol and even commended himself for his wisdom to stay away from alcohol. As quickly as this local pastor came upon the man, he forgot about him, continuing instead to sing along to his favorite hymn on 94.5 WDAC, offering praises to God for his love and forgiveness and mercy. Not more than a few minutes later, a man with a dark complexion came driving down the road. He had a crescent moon and star hanging from his rearview mirror. On his radio played a strange-sounding music in a foreign language. And he was heading home to his wife and children after the evening prayers at his local mosque. Seeing the man in the brightness of his headlights, he quickly pulled alongside of the man and stopped his car. Quickly taking off his seatbelt and getting out of the car, he ran over to the battered and bruised and naked man. And he assessed the situation and determined that the beaten man was bleeding from his head, his arm, and his leg. This dark-complected man ran back to his car and grabbed a blanket from the back seat to cover the beaten man. He took off his shirt, wrapped it around the beaten man's head to stop the bleeding, and he started talking to the beaten man. Hi, friend. What is your name? Don't worry. Help is on the way. I have called 911. The ambulance and police will be here soon. I won't leave until they get here. The emergency personnel took the beaten man to the hospital where he made a full recovery. And as the man lay in recovery, he thanked the Lord that he was still alive, but was grieved over the fact that he would now have a mountain of medical bills to contend with, with little money as it is. Days later, that same dark-complected man returned to the hospital and told the administrators that whatever the beaten man's bills amount to, I will pay it for him. Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And so if you are offended at the story I just told you, if it upset you in any way, then good. For you've just been confronted with the, Lord, the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No doubt the audience that first heard those words were dumbfounded and incensed. How could a Samaritan be the hero of this story? I think he was saying sorry. I don't know what happened. If you watch the news enough, you might be convinced that the world is burning. Viruses are locking down the world. Ethnic tensions seem to be rising. Political views are polarizing. Social views are so inflammatory that we whisper when we talk about them in public. Raise your hand if you've ever done that. Rioting seems to have become a morally right action. Public and private properties are being taken over by supposed liberators who claim that their liberations are in response to the tyranny of the corrupt and evil police. 
It's not hard to study history to understand the dominant philosophical paradigms that ruled during a particular period of time. What is hard is understanding the dominant philosophical paradigms that rule during our own time. It's hard because we're in it. We struggle to see it from an outside perspective. This is especially the case for, guess who? Young people who are the most susceptible to false narratives. It's no wonder, then, that if you watched any of these riots, they were all young people, 18, 19, 20 years old. It's also harder for older individuals to be led astray because you've experienced so much. I want to suggest to you this morning that it seems, at least to me, that there is a spirit of division that is seeking to divide and conquer. Republican versus Democrat, conservative versus liberal, black versus white, illegal versus legal, wealthy versus poor, urban versus rural, police versus criminals, those who wear masks versus those who do not wear masks, those who have COVID versus those, those who do not have COVID, counties in green versus counties in yellow versus counties in red, states who are open, states who are closed, pro-life versus pro-choice, LGBT versus conservative, and surely the list goes on and on and on. The point I'm making is that we are fed by a 24-hour news cycle all day, every day, all of the reasons why we are different, why we should classify ourselves according to various groups, and ultimately, I think, why we should dislike and even hate one another. What is the point of the parable as told by Jesus? The lawyer answered Jesus' question by saying that in order to be saved, he must love God with all of his being and love his neighbor as himself. And then he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In answering the question, Jesus doesn't tell him who exactly is and is not his neighbor. Rather, Jesus gives an example of what neighborly love looks like. The point that Jesus is making is this. We can say that we are Christians who love others all day long, but our actions will tell us if that actually is the case. If you would have asked them, the priest, the Levite, they would have said, absolutely, I love the Lord. But Jesus is saying their actions are suggesting otherwise. The world is telling us that we should divide ourselves according to any number of social and ethnic distinctions. The world told the Samaritans that he was divided from the Jews. And the subtle message behind it might be that you don't actually have to love those persons if you're not a part of that group. There is a spirit of division that is operating in our culture. Pay attention to it. It wants to divide and conquer, and it will surely succeed in the midst of those who are not in Christ. And we are seeing this unfold before our eyes today. Hatred, anger, rage toward others. It wants to come for us too. Make no mistake. Satan wants nothing more than to divide and conquer the body of Christ. We must be on guard. 
The kingdom of God is at hand. That's the main message of Luke's gospel. Jesus has come. Because the kingdom of God is at hand, there is a sense of urgency that is required. We need to take stock of ourselves and prepare, for we don't know when our Lord will return. And lastly, the kingdom of God is open to all persons who confess that Christ is Lord and Savior and love Him with their entire being and love their neighbors as themselves. Who is my neighbor? The lawyer asked. Jesus responded by telling him a parable about what neighborly love looks like. And then he said, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the life that you have given to each of us. Thank you for sustaining us through the night, for the air in our lungs and the beating of our heart to be here this morning. And we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, for mercy when we do not deserve it, and for new life in Christ our Savior. Lord, we are witnessing the fruit that we have sown as a nation. One of the things that we have forgotten, Lord, is that your church knows no national boundaries. Your kingdom is made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Holy Spirit, I ask that you will protect this congregation of believers from the division that Satan is trying to sow amongst us. And Lord, if we are to be known amongst others as anything, let it be that we are known as followers of Christ and nothing else. Help us to love one another as you have loved us, Lord Jesus. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor, and it is in your name that we pray. Amen.